Hey everyone, my name's Brayden, and you're listening to A Questioning Faith, a podcast crafted to allow us all to ask hard questions about what we believe and how our beliefs shape us. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Remember to like and subscribe to all of our social media channels. The links will be in the show notes. Hey, well, welcome everybody to the seventh episode of A Questioning Faith. This is part of our continuing conversation with author John Thomas Fuller, who wrote the book, Enter Into My Rest, The Mysteries of Living and Dying Revealed. And we are talking about how we know that Jesus is real. How is Jesus active in our lives? How can we align ourselves with Jesus and in that process discover perhaps God's will for us, God's desire for us, God's hope for us, our purpose in life maybe. And with that thought to begin with, our purpose in life is usually discovered as we go, as we feel the inspiration to take a risk. Perhaps we don't know that it's God whispering to us at the moment, but when we look back years later, we say, oh yeah, that totally changed my life. If it wouldn't, wouldn't have been for that moment and my decision to follow that inspiration, uh, I can only say that it was God's influence that inspired me to go because I never would have wanted to go. And why, who would want to leave where I was? And we, so we begin with a story that John writes called Out of Chaldea. And it's about him being invited to leave paradise and go back to Illinois. And <laughs> so here we go, page 69. When I came down off the mountains, I spent nine months in Portland, Oregon. I'd been planning on moving to the commune upriver from the canyon near the California border. They needed an English teacher, and I needed a job. Temporary accommodations in the form of a 1,000-square-foot, two-story yurt would have been provided. Oh, does that sound fun. The commune was in the middle of the old-growth forest in a valley beneath the towering Siskiyou Mountains just northeast of the Redwood Forest. I was really looking forward to leaving the city and going to the sunshine of Southern Oregon. The healthier environment and lifestyle appealed to me tremendously, but everything changed in the blink of an eye. The yurt was no longer available. A week earlier, I had visited a friend who lived in Queen Anne, Seattle. He and his wife and a house, a house full of beautiful little girls, and they were in great need of a nanny. They invited me to come and stay with them anytime, and I still needed a job. So holding them to their word, I took the train from Portland to Seattle to surprise them. Unknown to me, my friends were receiving guests who had just returned stateside from China, where they'd been teaching English as a second language. They already had tickets for the connecting flight from Seattle to Chicago, but after two flights and several days in transit, they couldn't stomach boarding one more jet. So they were staying a couple of days with my friends, trying to figure out how to find another way home. The next day, I felt obliged to write to my dad and let him know that I was now in Seattle. But as I was writing the letter, a divine lightning bolt struck my heart. Without a word being spoken, I understood that I had to return to the Midwest. It was the last place I ever wanted to be. 
but I knew it would be the best thing for all parties involved. My friends needed to sell their car. Their friends had the money, but being dead tired from their flight, they needed a third driver. I needed a ride to Chicago. Voila! Within 36 hours, I was back in my hometown. Several years later, Jesus would tell me that I had great faith for obeying that call. So John, would you describe for us the challenge of making that decision and how it was perhaps that Jesus let you know how happy he was with you for making that call? And was it, was it really a voila? And what's a yurt? <laughs> a yurt is kind of like a circular tent. It's okay. a, it's a, uh, it's a uh, structure from the Tibetan plateau. People, you know, in Mongolia or in Tibet or maybe Nepal live in yurts. So okay. the one that I was going to be staying in was two story and it was made of canvas. Wow. Um, yeah. Thousand I wasn't sure. If, I wasn't sure if it was like two words combined together, like a shorts and a skirt, a skirt. So I just, I wanted to double check for some of the listeners out there. Thing. Maybe they also didn't know what a yurt was. Now I do. Thank it's Thank a you, real John. thing. It's a real thing. Um, and <laughs> yes, it was an instantaneous voila. What happened was I was sitting at their dining room table and I was, I tried to keep my dad in my life as much as I could. And I was writing him a letter and literally a lightning bolt came through my crown into my heart. And it was just like, pfft. so I knew immediately what it was. The way I had, structured my relationship with Jesus because remember at this time I had not yet ever well that's not entirely true I had very little church experience I knew nothing about theology and I had put Jesus as my teacher and so whatever he told me I did so when that came to me it's like no questions asked I trust him implicitly I told my friends this is what happened they were and to my knowledge still are spiritual seekers and so they understood implicitly um, the synchronicity of their friends having arrived from China and me having arrived at their house completely unexpectedly um, was obviously a god godsend and they had the car they had the money to buy the car, I should say. My friend had the car, and I was the third driver. We were home within hours, literally. It was, um, it was a great trip. What did you do when you got when back? Jesus, when you got back? Uh, you know, what's really funny, yeah, what's really funny is that a person I had worked with in Portland had called my dad to see if I'd made it safely. So they were actually expecting me. <laughs> something that I never even knew. And I, uh, I immediately started looking for a job. You know, once I got back, I didn't know why God had wanted me to go there. And I can only pretend that I know now, because obviously, that was the beginning of most of what has transpired since, which is a substantial amount of that book. 
but I did know that it was the best thing for all people involved. And a inspiration for us and, and all of our listeners, I suppose, and that uh, just because where we are might not feel like the most wonderful place, there is so much to learn and opportunities to grow and to look for exciting aspects of your community, look for ways to serve, look for ways to find meaning and purpose is, is life-giving. And it just may be the way that we experience God in our lives. One of the first funerals I did in Sioux City, I was visiting with the wife of the husband who passed away, and she told me that she had lived her whole life here, grew up in, in a lake community until she was like six or seven years old, and had spent the rest of her life here now in her 80s. And I asked her what she liked about living here all of her life. And she said, nothing, really. I guess I've always longed to have lived back on the lake. Oh, I thought, how dis <laughs> what, what a horrible, horrible way to live your life. Uh, so hmm. I'm doing everything I can to find ways to engage this community, to, to experience what God might be offering the and like you said, John, I don't know why God called me here necessarily, but this, apparently it's to do something. So I'm going to do everything I can to find out what that purpose is. You know, uh, when Abraham was called, not only did, was he not given further information, as it were, except that he was, you know, his uh, descendants would inherit a land, um, but it wasn't just the land. There is an entire universe of, shall we say, spiritual importance to what would happen. And there is the story that the angels showed him Advent of Messiah and showed him uh, Mount Moriah and the temple and so on. So he was later on given information, but when he was first called, it was with little or no information, and he went. And that's why Jesus came to me and told me that I had great faith. Um, I don't know how one could do it otherwise. And what it tells me about Abraham, you know, you have to remember, not only was the area where he lived one of the wealthiest communities and most beautiful, but these were among the most educated people so there was a very special circumstance about his call. He had to have known to what he was listening when he decided to up and leave. And that, Go ahead, that, tells, me, that tells me there's, it just tells me there's an underlying belief there that kind of opened that door. Because, you know, what random person walking on the street hears God's voice and say, go back to live in Illinois. It's like, right. You know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of the time we're white knuckling it, you know. Nope, I'm here. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I just got here. 
So you guys amazing keep the conversation going. I need to run for just a second. You got it. Um, you know, instead of I just got here, everything, you know, now I got to turn around and go back. So I can't tell you the percentage of people that would go back after just arriving for anything, you know, um, it's pretty small. When, when you were sent, when you were sent, Liz, to Nebraska, how did you hear that? How did that come to you? I, I, I heard that because, um, I, yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever have moved without having family, which was, who was, who was also a pastor, my older brother. So being, coming to Nebraska for my family, and then also as a part of a faith community, um, that's, so that's how I navigate, that's what baited me in. Your brother, your brother was a, is a pastor in California. Yep. He's a Methodist pastor. And uh, so he got appointed to, to Grand Island, Nebraska. And this was when Liz was living in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole Canada experience was going to come to an end. And Liz had a decision that she could make to either stay in Canada or move to Texas to continue to work working, with that company, continue working that, with yeah. that company. And she said, nope, I'll take the severance package and go live with my brother and sister-in-law in Nebraska. Which, is that where is that where you guys met? Yeah, that is. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Braden, I didn't know that you were in the ministry. Tell me about how you got into the ministry. Um, well, I kind of I grew up in the church, uh, and so being around church people and church functions and things like that. Um, has always kind of just been a part of my life. Um, but church camp was really the place that I started to feel a call and, and started to feel really connected. Um, it was kind of my first home away from home, but it was also the first community of people my age that I really got to kind of come there was a there was a, a week long camp that I was a part of that I was able to do uh, year after year for for like I think two or three years, um, and so we like that group of kids would come back to that same week of camp, and so each year we would kind of have this community that was being built and formed, and we were getting to know each other's stories and and where we were and 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 so through that place becoming home, I had an opportunity to be on staff there. Um, and that opened me up to leadership possibilities and it, it kind of introduced me to other pastors in the Methodist church and other people who, who saw things in me. And then those people started inviting me to come and do one of them was a ministry internship that I did in Kearney that turned into, uh, a job as a youth pastor, um, my friend Matt that I lived with in Grand Island, I met him through camp and he was one of those people that just became a part of my community. And he's been a part, like he's still one of the best friends that I have in my life. Um, 
but God's it was through that community that, that community and his leadership and his friendship and mentorship and like Matt has been a really big part of me pursuing ministry callings and different opportunities and and things like that so really it, it has just been a it's been a lifelong practice of of having opportunities presented and then saying yeah I'll go so in in the in trying to answer the question, how do I know that Jesus is real? Going is one of the answers that we've we've been exploring to listen to that small, still inner voice of inspiration inviting us to to go. Rob Bell is a an author and podcaster and former pastor who offers one of the most beautiful and powerful statements of life. Don't let a graduation turn into a divorce. Mm. There is a time, you'll may, you maybe come to a time in your life, Liz, that experience of being with that company and you're sensing, ah, uh, not sure. Well, if, maybe if you would have stayed, that relationship, instead of being a graduation into something new, would have turned into a divorce. And so that is one way, I think, that we experience Jesus in our lives. Another way is John has a discipline of reconciliation. And I thought, John, if you could talk to us a little bit about the discipline of reconciliation, and then maybe we can explore what that looks like in our lives. One of the practices that I began 20 years ago, no, even longer ago than that, maybe 25 years ago, was to find six positive things about every person I met. So when I came back from the West Coast to Illinois, I began working in a store and anybody who works with the public know that, knows that sometimes you have a contentious person or an argumentative person or somebody who's just having a bad day. And in that position, you are not allowed to engage at the level of expression they're willing to go or where they're willing to go. And so I practiced finding six positive things, especially for the most difficult customers in order to help my attitude. And at that time in my life, it was a struggle for me to get on with my dad. We were very different people. As you can see, I've had a more than unusual life. And my worldly perspective was quite different. You know, the reason for our living was quite different. And I couldn't find anything positive about him. And I set for myself the goal, since I could do it for any stranger walking in off the street with whom I had no emotional baggage, I set for myself the goal of finding six positive things about my dad 
in order for me to get over my emotional junk. And one of the first things, because we put on blinders sometimes with the people in our lives. Well, let me rephrase that. I put on blinders for some of the people in my life in my life. And my dad had worked a job and supported our family all of my life. And he was still at that time a working man. And I that was one of my positive things. I had taken it for granted all of his provision for us children, et cetera, such as it was. My dad is a very moral person. And that was something that I actually hadn't expected would be one of the positive things, but he's a very moral human being. My dad is extremely intelligent. So the list began and eventually it would grow. And um, part of the reason for me engaging that was Mother Mary showed up to me one day and in no uncertain terms, she pointed at my dad and she looked at me. You know the look. All moms know the look, right? <laughs> she looked at me. And all and sons pointed know the look too. Dad. And she pointed at my dad and I was, I, 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 was very cautious not to use profanity in my mind but again it came down to it frequently comes down to poop because that means I had to do more work and let me tell you the inner life is hard work and so I I had to reconcile for the love of Mary my relationship with my dad and I was thinking about this the other day in the context of our discussion last week. Um, one of the things my dad and I share, which is actually really special, is he loves movies. So we talk about film all the time. And it's not something that I share with very many people. You know, some people just hate movies. They don't even bother going. But I love movies. And we talk about the old time movies on TV and it's like really, really great. And oh, just to date this podcast next weekend, uh, they're showing the 65th anniversary of um, the 10 commandments at select theaters around the world. And I'm going to see for the first time in my life, the 10 commandments on a big screen and I'm excited. So John brought up to us, uh, Another aspect of the, let's say, disciplines, the inner work that we have to do, comes from the lyrics of a Simon and Garfunkel song called The Sounds of Silence. And Braden, you had mentioned earlier that you had those lyrics up. Would you take us through, if I'm putting you on the spot here, but... Uh, <laughs> I got maybe, it. maybe you sing us the sound, uh, the the song, the sounds of silence. Sing us. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me to read, and then you say sing it. You know this song. Uh, let me see. Uh, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. 
because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. I'm gonna I'm gonna read now because I'm learning. That's without some instrumental background. That's a it's a tough tune to carry. I know it better than it sounds. So I'm. You need to watch the graduate a million times. You'll learn the song. <laughs> <laughs> um, so verse two. In restless dreams, I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone, neath the halo of a street lamp. I turned my collar to the cold and damp when my eyes were stabbed by the flesh of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never shared, and no one dared disturb the sound of silence. Fools, said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. And the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. And the sign said, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls and whispered in the sound of silence. All right, Braden, thank you for that beautiful rendition, sung and spoken of the sounds did of my silence. best. It was yeah, beautiful. So, talking about it spiritual disciplines or the way to shape our life so that we can experience Jesus in art and in music. And really, we talked about paying attention to slowing down and really paying attention to what's all around us. And I think that's what Art Garfunkel did. That's what he was doing when he wrote these lyrics. So as much as what the lyrics say to us, I think Art Garfunkel gives us a, a powerful example of what it means to slow down and really pay attention. And he, he talks about having a vision and whether he did or not, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's the vision that he gives us to, to deeply consider. And because we're still talking about this song, because a band like Disturbed covered it and had a huge success with an entirely different audience means that these lyrics touch people. So as a way for us to slow down and perhaps experience God through art, thought it would be good for us to each explore these lyrics and what they mean to us. So John, you're the one that brought us, brought this song to our attention last week after our recording session. Would you share with us why this song is important to you? 
the words I like best of the song, and I like the whole thing, but the best for me are, in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking and people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never shared. Is that correct? Right. Disturb the sound of silence. Because that white light experience, if you will, or the presence of the glory of God is life-changing, is transformative. And I feel that we, hum we human beings are going to experience this in a collective way. I don't know what the mechanism might be, but I feel that it will be one of the means by which our world becomes transformed. We will all see that. Thank you. Brayden and Liz, how does this song- I'll take a stab at verse yeah. four. Yeah. I'll take a stab at verse four. Um, Fools, said I, you do not know silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. Um, what I'm hearing in that is, is sort of what we've kind of been talking about is, John, you were talking about your, your discipline of reconciliation and that process needing to just start. You needed to start the list. Once you got a few things on that list, you intended to start with six things about your dad that helped you see him as a beloved person of God. And you started that list and then you continued that list and the list grew and I would assume grew and grew. Liz and I have been talking about uh, the, the kids ministry videos, the, this podcast, the the different, the music stuff that I'm doing at the church as it, it's invitations to go. It's invitations to do the thing. You know, each week we're, we're kind of trying to get something out there. And so what we have to do is just do the thing. If we don't have something to put out there because we got too wrapped up in our own anxieties, our own doubts, our own fears, then nobody can hear the, the words that God is speaking to us. Um, it's that, that, uh, my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. It's if we don't speak the words, if we don't go out and actually do the thing, it doesn't get done. And so that's what we're invited into. We're invited to this, go and do the thing. You will be equipped. Moses arguing with God at the burning bush says, I can't talk. I don't know how to do these things. And God says, I'll give you the stuff you need. I just need you to go. <laughs> we were watching a show uh, called Below Deck. It's a, it's a complete reality TV show, shut your brain off kind of thing. But all of a sudden there was a download for us that happened there too, because the captain had just gotten done uh, doing a fire drill with the team. And it was, it was a drill for a fire that had gotten out of control, triggered an abandoned ship order, things like that. And they were coming back and, and the whole crew felt like they did a really, really good job on this fire drill. 
And they came back and they were talking with the captain in, in the in the bridge. And the captain said, started kind of saying, you weren't following the instructions. You didn't do the things that, it, that you were supposed to do. Well, it was a fire drill and things were on fire. Like there, there was supposed to be a fire where we were supposed to be standing. And so what were we supposed to do? Just stand there and burn? And the captain said, no, you were supposed to wait for instructions. The instructions will come. No one expects you to stand there and die. If there was a real fire, I would not stand there and tell you to stand in the fire and burn alive. I would tell you to go somewhere else. The drill is practice waiting for instructions, even when it's crazy. But you still have a job to do. You still have to make sure that the fire doesn't get any worse on the ship. And you have to be listening for instructions at the same time. So Liz and I, having these conversations, these podcast conversations, the conversations with Eric and preparation for the services and different things like that, that's, that's the time of do the thing, do the thing. But we're also in the midst of doing the thing listening for the instruction, listening for the extra tools that we don't feel like we have yet. Oh, God, I, I, don't, I don't have a song for Sunday. Braden, sit down and turn on your music app and just listen to music for a while. Bam, there's a song for Sunday. Whoa, if I just sit down and actually like try to do the thing, God will just, here you go. Or even sitting down watching reality television mm -hmm. like never thought god would speak to us through that or you know a lesson which was just crazy thank you for sharing that guys because you are doing a beautiful example of demonstrating how to pay attention how to listen to god in anything because god can use anything to speak to us if we're listening right yeah a couple months ago we wouldn't have been watching anything and, you know, been open to hearing. And it's not like we're okay for our listeners. It's okay. Let's be intentional. Listen for God. Let's watch. This is us. Okay, here we go. You know, it's just spending time together. And when these spiritual downloads come to us, we just stop and we start talking. I can almost guarantee what happened that night that we put on that episode of Below Deck was we want to sit down. We want to shut our brains yeah. off. We probably just put the kids to bed. Right. It was our sit down Emotionally and don't exhausted. think about things yeah. for a while. And then all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, nope. Here's... And then we're all excited again. And I can't wait to share this one. And like, yeah. That's so, so cool. Yeah. I, I'd say um, part of the last verse and then the very last where it's saying, um, and the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made and the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. And the sign said, the words of prophets are written on the subway walls and the tenement halls and whispered in the sounds of silence. So like, honestly, five minutes ago, I was like, great. What am I gonna say about this? I've never actually looked at the words, but just kind of staring at everything and not choosing something that somebody else picked. God has given me the words right here. So here we go. Um, the words of, of the prophets written on the subway walls and the tenement halls, subway walls, tenement halls, massive amounts of people are passing 
by those areas in those environments. Lots of tons of people, but just like the violinist, is anyone noticing? They're right there. Well, they say, I'll spell it out for you. It's right there. Here it is. Are we, are you looking? Nope. And that whisper is probably really quiet, you know? Um, but then, you know, before that, you've got the people bowed and they prayed to the neon, these flashing signs of um, anxiety and the world sucks and evil and pay attention to these things and let's you're not pretty you enough know? you're not handsome enough wear these shoes yeah put on these let's clothes kill people we're better like yeah. different races you you guys aren't the same so let's fight because we all need to be different and better than each other than love each other who loves everybody let's worship this this uh fake jesus let's you know like yeah that that's what i got that's yeah that's fantastic liz this is something that so as people are listening i'm hoping that people might get together someday and and listen to these or talk about these podcasts in in small groups uh, or, or share with their friends and this is something that, that you get a group of people together on the couch. Yeah, we're doing this. You guys are sitting on the couch. We're on the couch. We're on the couch electronically, and we're having fun taking a song apart and talking about how it speaks to us and how how God is speaking mm -hmm. to us. Anybody can do this. This is this is a and to me, Eric, this is so much more fulfilling than saying good morning to somebody at church. Like I like that I can do that, and at the same time. This takes discipline. This takes commitment. These are deep intellectual, like spiritual conversations on, and we're in so many different aspects of our life, but because of this technology, we can have these amazing conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Intentional conversations. We're Intentional. Having... As the cat rubs his face yep, on the, the stand. <laughs> He wants to be a part of the conversation too. Yes. Anytime that I yeah, anytime we're zooming, he's there. Yeah. Um, but intentional and just full of give me the word, Eric. Um, meaning, just like life. Yeah. You know, not these surface conversations, vulnerable sharing who we are and how we think and how we feel and our hopes dreams frustrations joys concerns doing life together mm -hmm. through a song through lyrics yeah this is not this is not an easy song to, i'd love to sit down with art garfunkel and i imagine there's probably some interview somewhere if we looked it up we could find it but it seems, you know, hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because the vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sounds of silence. Oh, it, it begins with me, meditation. Oh, I love this time alone with God. I turn on the gas fireplace, turn out the lights, and I've got a prayer bead that I use, uh, Eastern Orthodox 
prayer rope, really. And I'll meditate through my fingers touching those 100 knots on the rope and just immerse myself in the sound of silence. And in that time, there aren't real words that come, but seeds are planted. I don't even know how that makes sense, but a deeper desire to spend more time with God, a deeper desire to be focusing on God. And I sense Garfunkel's frustration with the world that, that he's alone. 10,000 people out there talking without speaking, hearing without listening. Oh, sometimes, I gotta tell you guys, I get up in front of the congregation and I wonder if any of them hear a word I say. And people talking meaninglessness just to make noise talking without really speaking. And then the conclusion, Lizzie helped me understand those last lines beautifully. Yeah, people on the subway trains just screaming past all this information, not looking, not seeing, just overwhelmed with all of the light. And the words from God are all around. In, a, in unexpected places, even in the subway halls, subway on the subway walls, and in the tenement halls, those tenements, the places of abject poverty. In the last episode, John was talking about where Jesus came from. It's like the, the hills of Appalachia or the Ozark Mountains of, of Arkansas, where people need a toothbrush because they only have one tooth. <laughs> the joke goes if the toothbrush had been invented in illinois it'd be called the teeth brush but since it was invented in missouri or arkansas it's called the teeth <laughs> nice yeah. oh but it's in it's in those places where jesus is and can we find jesus in can we hear jesus in those places Oh, and then finally, whispered, whispered to us in the mm -hmm. silence. So a discipline, another discipline, slowing down, mm -hmm. taking time to sit with God. If I want to hear Jesus, if I want to know if Jesus is real, well, it's just like any other relationship. I better spend some time, mm -hmm. spend time building that relationship. You know, like, like any other relationship. Exactly. While we were preparing this week for today's recording, one of the several things occurred to me. Number one, because of the general lack of awareness of, let's say, um, spiritual reality, and then because of the refusal to look at death, most people are trying to anesthetize themselves or distract themselves. And life then just becomes a series of distractions. And then you go to sleep and then you wake up and you distract yourself some more, whatever that may be. And 
what Eric was just describing about his practice and what Liz just said about the ongoing need to work at the relationship. One of the things that came to my mind has to do with the Aboriginal people of Australia. And from birth, they are taught what their spiritual reality is. That's why in traditional Aboriginal culture, most people do not wear clothes. Most people do not live in houses. Most people have for possessions at most a digging stick, musical instruments, and something to hunt with. That is their entire- My kind of people. Yeah, that's their entire material culture. But they are taught and practice every day of their human life about how to die and they know where they are going. So it is a commitment in a relationship that we in our Western culture just don't even begin to grasp by and large. Well, and a lot of that is, be, I think, because, um, you know, we, we live in the most scientific, technologically advanced civiliz civilization in the history of civilization, which has brought a lot of wonderful things like air conditioning and couches. But it's also, I've heard it, I've heard it said that it's, it's also sanitized us from the messiness of life. Because where does death take place? in a nursing home, not in the home, not with us as it used to be. Where does death take place in a hospital? Somewhere else, outside of my walls. I don't have to face death in my house. And so I don't have to be confronted necessarily. Even the, the food that I eat, you know, the, the burgers that I eat, I didn't kill that cow. I'm not confronted with the messiness of death in the same way that we used to be. You know, and I think that really changes our perspective. And I think that's where a lot of our fear of dying comes from. John, you, you used the phrase, uh, talking about your, the, the young man who, who committed suicide, that, that you lost him or, or that we've, when, when we lose somebody in death, we, we phrase it that way, that we lost them. That doesn't mean that God lost them. That doesn't mean that they are lost. It means that we no longer can find them. But that doesn't necessarily mean, and I'm just coming to this right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gone. It just means that we lost them. You know, I, I want to say something in regard to what Liz said and what Eric touched upon in regard to the particular verse that they both discussed. You know, I think about, and this has come up throughout our conversation today, I think about those thousand and six people perhaps that walked past the professional musician in the subway. And I think people are genuinely overwhelmed and technology has only increased the overwhelmedness of our culture. And I think that um, like Eric, we need to sit in front of our fireplace and just try to find that peace time. You know, it's not one of the touch, most touching things to me, the young man who 
had to crash on our sofa, actually, um, bought the Audible once it became available. And all he does is listen to it at night for two reasons. He wants me to read the book to him and my voice comforts him and causes him to just chill because his life is spent on technology. He's in IT all day long. He's a DJ on top of it. He's composing on top of it, all electronic. And he has another job that he's doing. So he's working 10 to 16 hours every single day. And when he's not working, he's playing. And so he listens to the book because that's his way of dealing with the stimulation, too much stimulation now. And a great reminder that the book is available on audio, on Audible and through amazon.com. And John does read it and he reads it beautifully and his voice is very comforting. Mm -hmm. So if you are enjoying these podcasts, pick up the Audible book and that is a final practice for us today, a final spiritual practice. Listen to John's books on Audible <laughs> before right? you sleep at night. You'd like to calm your mind and soul, John Fuller. Yep. Well, we think, or if you want to send your mind and soul into a complete and wild tailspin, trying to figure out what the complexities of the universe, listen to John's book right before bed. Well, that's probably more yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Next to children's book with lullabies. <laughs> I'll help you. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. All right, everybody. We thank the listeners for joining us today. Uh, love each of you guys and love our listeners. And we, yeah, thanks for all your support and your comments. Yeah. We we love it. It's it's so inspiring. Thanks for listening, everybody. And please, if you like this, share this with your friends. Another episode in the books. Thanks for joining us this week. Next week, we're going to tackle a big one. We'll be talking about the Bible, the way we read it, and how it impacts our lives on a daily basis. Uh, if you haven't already, be sure to like and subscribe to A Questioning Faith on all of our social media channels. Um, if you've got questions, please send them to techstpaulssc at gmail.com. That's T-E-C-H-S-T-P-A-U-L-S-S-C -S -S at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and tackle some of your questions.